Again, a good, good week last week in uh, our study, The Church. I'm going to continue on with that. But as he was singing that song, I, I was thinking of the scripture uh, that it, I guess it was drawn from in James chapter 1. And I just want to read that because uh, such a good scripture. It says in verse 19, this, You know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves, doers of the word, and not mere, merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, He's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, having, become a, having be, not become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And so again, just a great reminder of being in God's Word and not just hearing it and deceiving ourselves that we got it, but actually seeing what God has to say and doing it I think it's so important to, uh, again, great song right before we get into the Word of God. And as we've gone through this study week after week, gaining these points, hopefully lessons that we apply in our lives, lessons that we can learn from the first church. Um, I love I, I love history. I love being able to look back on history and, and try to gain some of the lessons that can be learned, not just biblical history, not just church history, but in history in general. But what more important history do we have then our lineage, our leg the legacy that's been left for us as the people of Christ, the, the, the people of God in Christ Jesus. How, how what a greater, uh, I mean, lesson that we can learn than to find out what they did at the beginning and to see if we measure up or, or where we stand uh, as far as where the church was and where it is now. And again, these lessons have come week after week. Last week we saw two of them. The church at times has given unique opportunities and blessings to further the kingdom. Again, so many times I think that we get wrapped up in this world. I'm guilty of it. I think we all can be guilty of it. Wrapped up in this world and when God brings us to, to unique situations and brings unique blessings in our lives, sometimes we're oblivious to the fact that it's to further His kingdom. We're like, oh great, I love this. This is amazing. When actually God may have given us that job, may, may have given us that promotion, may have taken that job away from us, may have done certain things and provided for us or blessed us with this, so that we can further His kingdom, because that's what it's all about. Again, if we forget that, we've lost our way. We are the people of God, supposed to be in His kingdom, serving at His pleasure. He is the King, not us. And so again, we have to remember, as we're learning these lessons, this is, it's all about the church. So many, so many times people diminish the importance of the church of Jesus Christ. And we've talked about that along the way. There's been a lot of men along the, the, throughout the ages there's been a lot of denominations and, and branches and religions and all kinds of things that have ruined what should be a great respect and a great admiration and a great joy of being in the church of Jesus Christ. Again, so many people have lost that because of the failure of man, but that's why the Bible tells us to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross the despising shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are to look to him and to consider him. Again, he is the head of the church. And so as we learn these lessons, 
Uh, hopefully we can apply them in our life and it affects our life. The second point was the church at most, time, most points in time has been under scrutiny and attack. Again, the church at most points in time has been under scrutiny and attack. And we talked about it a little bit last week. What a great bubble we have lived in as American Christians. I mean, I, I've never known. I, I've had people call me a Bible thumper before. I had people call me, even when I was in high school, they, they kind of did it as, as a sneer at first, and then it stuck. They called me reverend. I had no, I, no intention of, of being in ministry at that point in time, but uh, that's just certain things that, that were um, done along the way. But that, has, that, that is, to me, touches nothing even close to what our brothers and sisters have gone through throughout the ages, to what many of our brothers and sisters around the world are going through. There, there are countries, even continents, where the Christians are in the minority. And, uh, and, and I, I'm just telling you, we are in a huge uh, blessed situation. And, and maybe that's a little bit wrong to say Christians in the minority, maybe the known Christians, because I do believe there is a strong church underground uh, that's growing by what more, more, than, more than what we could ever imagine over here. But um, we're getting close to wrapping up this study, and we've kind of journeyed with the Apostle Paul uh, this, this last section of the study, and we're, we're following him. He's made his way to, to Rome. He's under house arrest. He's waiting to give his appeal before C uh, Caesar, who, again, by the way, is Nero. He's had contact with the Jewish leaders in Rome. Uh, and what he's found out in this first interaction with them is they haven't really heard anything about him. Right? He's been notorious all along the way. Basically, in every city he's gone to, he's been notorious. And so everybody's kind of heard of him, known of him. And they either love him, hate him, or afraid of him, want to kill him. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that he's ran into, except for he comes to Rome. He's here in Italy, and they have no, these Jewish leaders have no idea about him. Letters haven't made it there. Word hasn't made it there. But what has made it there, information-wise, is this sect that's talked about, uh, that's spoken against everywhere. And this sect, of course, is the Church of Jesus Christ. The Jewish leaders had heard about the church. They had heard about this uprising. They had heard about this rebellious group of Jews who are now reaching into the Gentile lands and bringing people into this, this sect to follow this person who was dead, was crucified, and that they claim had risen from the grave. And so they, these Jews, these Jewish leaders, want to have a full explanation of what this sect is all about. And that's where we left off, and that's where we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 28. Just two verses for our text this morning. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging, in large numbers. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that can be an intimidating situation, right? If you've ever been in a job interview where there's a panel or there's a, there's a board there, if you've ever been in a situation where you've been brought in where there's a lot of people in intimidating circumstances, you can, you can really want to crawl inside yourself and, and kind of disappear. Paul is here before these, not just regular people, these are the leaders in Rome. This is a, a major hub. Uh, this was where uh, the, the, the capital, the, the, the major military uh, stronghold, all of these things existed. And also it becomes eventually what we'll know and we'll talk about this a little bit later, the kind of the hub of Christianity at, at one point in time. But it says they came to him in lodging, at his lodging in large numbers, 
And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening. Wow. That must have been a captivating uh, discussion, right? Explaining from Moses, from the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning time until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophets to your fathers. And you can read it in your Bibles, but we're going to stop there. Uh, because we'll, that, we, we've got a lot to talk about this morning. And if we get into what he said, then that's going to open up another can of worms. But the first point right off the bat is this. Divine appointments must be capitalized on. Divine appointments must be capitalized on. Now, Paul could have not seen this as a divine appointment, right? He could have been nervous. He could have been like, I, I'm going to bust these guys' chops, which, again, we'll get a little bit into that maybe next week um, if the Lord allows. But the reality is this. From the moment of Paul's conversion, he was well acquainted with divine appointments, right? He, he knew what it was for God to, to show up and to say, this is an opportunity that I'm given to you. Again, I, I want to go back to that. If you've been along the journey the whole time through this study, you know what happened in Acts chapter 9. If you're new here, if you're a guest here, or if you missed that service, this is what happened to Paul, the person we're, we're talking about right here, when he got saved. In Acts chapter 9, now Saul, his name was Saul at the time, was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That's that sect that he was given an account to these Roman Jewish leaders against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and he asked for letters for, from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, same sect, the church, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. I wish sometimes, now I don't, Lord, please help me with this wisdom because you know, you say something sometimes, and God says, okay. I'll get, I don't think he's saying it like in a spiteful way. He's all wise. He's good. He's, he's, he's perfect. He's eternal. But sometimes he knows what's best for us, and we ask for things, what's, what's actually best for us, and, and it takes us through a difficult circumstance, you know, to get to what God wants us to get to or get to where he wants us to get to. But I do wish that sometimes God would kind of shine a light on a situation, right, letting us know this is a divine appointment, you know. This is what I'm doing in your life. This is why I'm doing it. This is, what I'm, I'm, this is how I'm working in your life. And uh, I think the key, and we talked about this when we studied it, the key was Paul's response in that moment. What happens? This light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. But get up, enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but they didn't see anybody. So Saul got up from the ground, exactly as Jesus told him, and, through, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank again. As I said, sometimes to God, I want you to shine a light in my circumstance. 
But Paul got up blind, didn't eat anything, didn't drink anything, went into a city, really didn't know what he was going to be doing other than he was surrendered to Jesus Christ. Again, I think that's key no matter what's going on in our life. But here in our text, imagine this. Paul is this prisoner. He's in house arrest. He's, he's waiting to, to give his appeal to Nero, waiting his court date. All of the Jewish leaders, in large numbers, the Bible says, were coming to hear what was going on with this sect that he was now a part of. Again, it would be a hotbed for the church activity and, of course, controversy later. Rome would eventually be a, a center for what would become Catholicism, where the bishop of Rome would eventually turn into the pope. All of the leaders of Judaism in this hub, in this, this capital, this, this large metropolis at the time, here he is under house arrest, and all of the influential Jewish leaders come to him in large numbers to hear about this. I want you to remember that they already were saying it was spoken against everywhere. It wasn't cool to be a part of the church. It wasn't popular to be a part of the church. It was, in many regards, a death sentence to be a part of this sect. Some might be tempted to appease a group of men like that. Some might be, you know, tempted to say, you know what, these guys could have a very, you know, um, efficacious uh, influence on my release. They could maybe say something to, to the Roman leadership because they're the reason, Judaism is the reason why I am here. So maybe he could be tempted, maybe somebody would be tempted to just appease these guys, just to give them flowery words, just to maybe be tempted to not defend the gospel, not defend Jesus. Not to claim to be a part of this. He had no idea how long he would be in this prison situation. He had no idea how long it would be before he would stand before Nero. He had no idea what Nero would do. If Nero wouldn't even want to entertain him or just put him to death because that's the way he was. But how bad would Paul's short-term memory have been if he did? Right? Right? How bad would Paul's short-term memory have been if he gave into the temptation just to appease this group of leaders in effort to, to get out of the circumstances that he was in? I'm in a difficult situation. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know when or if I'll ever get to talk to Nero. I, I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what these guys are going to say or going to do. But I could be out for Paul. I could be out for self-preservation. I could be out for what works for me in my life and not be fully dedicated to Jesus Christ and fully capitalize on this divine appointment that he's given to me. And if he did that, I believe that his short-term memory would have been horrible. And that brings a challenge for us. How often are we tempted to not be who we're supposed to be when we are in trials or struggles? Right? It, it's so easy because your, 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 your flesh gets weak. And then, and then once your, your flesh gets weak, then again, your, your, your mind, your spirit, everything starts to, starts to, to weaken. And, and there's this, these temptations that come along with this weakness. And the temptation is to just pull back a little bit or to compromise in this area or not to stand up, not to fully uh, give yourself 
to whatever God has brought you to. Right? Sometimes our attitude goes sour in the trials because we can't connect the dots of why we're going through this or why we're in this. What does that look like sometimes? What does it look like when, when our attitude goes sour, when we're weak, we give in to the temptation, we want to just be out for ourselves and our family and our job and our stuff and, and all these kind of things, and we're only focused on us and temporal things and worldly things, and, and again, we, we, we get weak in the midst of this, and our attitude is going sour. Again, what does that look like sometimes? I think sometimes it looks like us treating others, even in the family of God bad poorly it's a sad indictment when you have Christians say things like this some of the meanest people I know profess to be Christians some of the ugliest people not in appearance in relationships are Christians or professing Christians I've had people say this to me. I know lost people who are kinder than me than some people who profess to be Christians. And I do think that sometimes that's just the result of whether they're professing Christians or they truly are Christians, being in circumstances where maybe they're not walking with the Lord or maybe they're weak in their flesh, maybe they're going through something, and again, not remembering what God had done in their life, what he had brought them through, who they're supposed to be, even in the midst of a trial and a struggle. And so in that weakness and in that struggle they're going through, they, they're not walking in the Spirit, they're not producing the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, you know, self-control, all those things. He, they're not exhibiting those things, but they begin to act like lost people again because they're walking in the flesh. And so when somebody, a Christian, comes along who's struggling, and they meet somebody else who's struggling, and they treat them like they're dirt, that's why things like that, I work with people that are nicer than people that I go to church with. I'm in a predicament, and I don't like it. And so I'm ugly to everybody around me. I've got an attitude. I've got a chip on my shoulder. I don't want to be friends with anybody. I don't want to connect with anybody. Again, maybe we're tempted to give into the weakness of our flesh to please our flesh. As I said, to further our cause, to, to create that comfort that we want to live in. And so we get weary. And in our weariness, we compromise. Or at least compromise because of the short-term memory loss, as I said, of what God has done in our life. Had Paul simply appeased these men? Had, had he simply just said, I'm just going to tell them what they want to hear so that they'll be on my side? Had he not capitalized on this particular divine appointment? Maybe even look into the divine appointment that he would have with Nero. It would have proven at least a little bit that he had forgotten all that God had brought him to and all that God had brought him through. And I, I don't want to be that person. I hope that you don't either. I don't want to be that person that gets into the next trial that, that I'm in and, and, and miss the divine appointment even in the midst of that struggle or trial and, and have short-term memory of what all God has brought me through in my life. All the things that, all the struggles and all, the, the, all those things, how, how, how poorly of a son would I, how, how, how bad would I be? You know, if, if I forgot everything God had done my entire life, 
just because this current situation is not favorable. Man, it's like a kid who you raised your whole life, giving them everything they need. And right before they leave the house, get upset that you don't buy them a shirt. You know, <laughs> you know, you don't love me. Right. <laughs> but is that how we act sometimes? Right? We want God to do something like we're here. I, I want this now, God. I, I want to be out of this, this, this imprisonment. I, I, want, I want these guys to not want me to be dead too. You know, and, and, and God, why aren't you getting me out of the, why are, why are the large numbers of them? Why, you know, I, again, and we forget all the stuff that God has done. Had Paul done that, man, poor child. I mentioned it a while ago. If we know the old saying is, is true in every situation of Paul's life, and it's true in all of our life. If you're a child of God, if he brought you to it, he will bring you through it. But how many times do we miss what God has brought us to? How many, how many times do we miss that? Because we just want to get beyond it, right? We, we miss that, that moment and who he might have us reach. Because we see it, we see them as an inconvenience. And I, say, I stand here and say that with a knife stuck in my heart. Because there's so many times that I have missed opportunities because it seemed inconvenient. Or because I didn't have the time. How many times do we do that? We're looking for something else, or we're looking, we have plans for something else ahead. Or maybe it's relief. I, you know, I, I would reach out to them, but I'm going through enough my, myself. Paul has set a good example of capitalizing on divine appointments. But we know our Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect example. John chapter 27, now my soul has become troubled. This is Jesus. My soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Is that what I should do? I don't want to do it anymore. I, I, you know, I, is that what I'm supposed to do? Again, God in the flesh, Jesus, was setting the perfect example for every single one of us ever. And so every account that we have recorded of him doing things like this was for our lesson. Is, is this what I should do in the midst of my trouble, in the midst of my struggle, in the midst of this inconvenient, bad, difficult, heavy weight? Is, should I just say, I want out of it? But his, his, his answer to that rhetorical question is, but for this purpose I came to this hour. It's the whole reason I came is for this. They got a divine appointment. God brings us to these divine appointments. And man, like our Lord did, like Paul did, we should capitalize on them. Not be lost in wanting to be relieved and, and what's next and when God's going to take us out of it. Again, that's difficult. I understand we're all, we all struggle with that. But a few chapters later in chapter 18, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus was under great distress, facing this illegal trial and 
And another aspect, as hard as it may, may be, you and I should try to see even in unfavorable, undesirable, uncomfortable, and difficult and bad circumstances that God may just bring people into our lives so that we can point them to him. It may be as simple as that. That's it. You mean that God brought us to this? That we're going through all of this? That I have lost all of this so that I could point one person to Jesus? Maybe. Oh man, what, an etern- what a divine appointment that, that you and I, as recipients of God's grace and mercy, who de- deserve nothing but punishment and judgment because we are only good at sinning ourselves. Only because of his righteousness and the enablement of the Holy Spirit, the work of God alone in our life gives us any opportunity, not just to be his his son, his, his daughter, but to be his servant, to do anything for him. We deserve nothing. It's all of him. And so when we get in the midst of a bad situation that's not pleasing to our flesh or uncomfortable in temporal terms, we shouldn't just be looking, God, fix this problem for me. I think that we should be asking the same thing that Paul said, Lord, what will you have me to do? I can't see anything. I don't know what you want me to do. I I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what the plan is, but God, I'm yours. In that situation in the prison of Rome, large numbers of Jewish leaders showed up, and Paul could have said, oh, this is overwhelming. What am I supposed to do? Maybe I probably did ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? I think he probably did the only thing and the best thing he knew to do. He began to try to convince them about Jesus, is what it said. He pointed them to Jesus. Man, I don't know what else to say, but I can talk about Jesus all day long. I encourage you this morning. Ask God to use you up for his kingdom. Ask God to give you eyes and discernment to see the opportunities that he's given you and given me and given us to share the gospel, to point people to Jesus Christ, which leads to our second point. Dedicate yourself to passionately and fully sharing Jesus. Dedicate yourself to passionately and fully sharing Jesus. Notice because these were Jews, I believe Paul was trying to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. That's why he started there. That's why he was reasoning with them. Similar stories exist with Stephen. Uh, He was martyred to the same thing. Paul had done it before. He's talking to Jews, connecting the dots for them from what God had delivered to Moses and to the prophets to Jesus because it's all about Jesus. But why would this be so important for us? And why was it so important to them to, to connect the dots, not just from Moses, but also the prophets? There's a guy years ago, Professor Peter Stoner, is chairman of the Departments of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College. Uh, he was the chairman of the Science Division at Westmont College as well. And... Um, He wrote a book. In his book, Science Speaks, Professor Stoner outlines the mathematical probability of one person that lived in the first century fulfilling just eight of the most clear and straightforward messianic prophecies. I don't know if you got those specifics, but I'm going to say it again. One person 
that lived in the first century only, who had to, to have fulfilled just simply eight of the most clear-cut and straightforward messianic prophecies. These are clearly talking about the Messiah, just eight of them. We find that the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies. We're going to put this number up on the screen. Is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. One person fulfilling just eight. Let that wrap, let your mind wrap around that for just a second. One person for all of this time, they had to live in that first century, to fulfill just eight of the Messianic prophecies. That seems like almost impossible odds. So just to kind of get get in perspective, if you're wondering, there was a Mega Millions jackpot in October of 2018 that had a jackpot of just $1.6 billion. We know there's been more since then. But in 2018, there was a $1.6 billion jackpot. And the odds of winning it were merely 1 in 302,575,350. That seems like, that's almost the whole nation of America, right? That's a, that's, that's a great, like you have one chance in the whole nation to win it, almost. That's, again, if somebody says, look, you have a chance to win this, but it's you and everybody in the nation. I mean, you have, that, that's your odds. You really, really, really probably are not going to win this. They gave another illustration about how many feet deep that silver dollars would have to be um, in the state of Texas, feet, feet deep. Silver dollars covering all of all the state of Texas, several feet deep. The chance of someone doing what they did, uh, the eight, one and eight, or the, the just eight of the prophecies, would be like somebody going out the first time and grabbing the one silver dollar that was marked on, and all of those silver dollars covering the state of Texas. I, I, it's it's a mind blowing thing. But Stoner went on to calculate the probability of one per- person fulfilling forty eight prophecies. Not just eight, but 48 prophecies. One person only fulfilling 48 of the prophecies that God gave about the Messiah. And it's this next number. One in ten to the 157th power. We didn't do it because that's 157 zeros. One person fulfilling 48. I said, well, that's possible, <laughs> right, right? But here's the amazing thing. There's over 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah. So the number is astronomically just pretty much impossible. It, that Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. Every single one of them. So often we dedicate ourselves to other things. 
So often we are more prepared for other things than from sharing Jesus with others. We're so planned out. We're so looking and, and prepared for so many things. Man, we, we, we teach our kids early to be, which is good. It's important to be prepared for school and for, for tests and to be prepared for sports and for, for whatever. We, 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 all these things we, we should teach about being ambitious and, and, and being good stewards and, and, and all those things. Again, don't get me wrong. Scriptures like Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 are, are very important and very applicable to every aspect of life where it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In verse 23, similarly, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather for men. And I believe that is, man, when you go to jo your job, when you go to your work, when you're, whatever you're doing, I think we should say, God, I want to be glorified in this. You've given me time. And so, again, that's where it's important. But also, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All true for all aspects of life. I believe that. However, there remains a charge and a commission for every child of God that supersedes everything in this world every responsibility. As a child of God, we were given a charge, a commission that supersedes everything. To glorify the Lord, yes, in your marriage, you should. In your home, you should. At your job, you should. Everything you do, you should do as unto the Lord, bringing glory to Him. Everything. But there is a call, there is a commission, there is a charge, there is a responsibility, there's an entrustment that God has given to every single one of His children. And just because Paul was sitting in, in a Roman prison waiting to appeal to Nero, it didn't take away from that one primary call. And the same thing for us. Yeah, but i got other stuff to do. I've got to prepare for this. There's nothing greater, no greater responsibility, no higher calling, nothing higher than Mark 16, 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He would say this right before he left in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We must see our lives like God sees our lives. So that's where we get wrong. We start talking to other people. We start talking to other Christians. And we start listening to YouTube videos. We start listening to podcasts. And we start listening to what man says we should view our life. When I think as a child of God, he's our father, he's our Lord, we should look to him and say, God, how do you see my life? What is my life supposed to look like in your eyes? Colossians 3, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, child of God, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Did you see what he said? You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. 
That's how God sees us. And I praise God for that because when he looks at my life, he no longer sees the filth and the sin. He no longer sees my, my weakness and, and, and my insufficiency. When, when now God the Father, just, holy, righteous, looks at my life, he sees my life hidden in Christ. He sees the righteousness of, of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, you don't know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. The greatest responsibility, the highest calling is to be the ambassadors that he's called us, that he's given us time on earth to be. That's the highest calling. And what, what's amazing is that sometimes we miss that everything, our family, our jobs, everything, can center around that, and it's supposed to center around that. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Ambassador doesn't change their name or their title just because they go somewhere else. They're an ambassador for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Therefore, to truly glorify God. Man, I want to glorify God in my life. I do, I want that to happen. I don't, no matter what I'm in, no matter what circumstance I'm in, no matter what I'm going through, no matter how people treat me, no matter what I feel, I want to truly glorify Him. To truly, truly glorify Him means to bring forth fruit, spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit meaning to allow the fruit of the Spirit, as we talked about, to abound and increase in our lives the closer we get to Him, but also kingdom fruit. Kingdom fruit. Psalm chapter 126, he who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with, shout of, with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And Jesus said very clearly, herein is my Father glorified in John 15, that you bear much fruit. How is God glorified in our lives? We bear fruit. Let me ask you this question, we'll close. Are you dedicating yourselves to passionately and fully sharing Jesus? Anytime you have the opportunity. Or are you just living to make a living? Are you just living to get stuff? Are you just living for you? Are you dedicating yourself to passionately, fully sharing Jesus? To do that, you got to know the word. Are you in the Word? Are you passionately devoting yourself to knowing Jesus and so much so to share Him? Not just out of our duty, but of an honor and privilege and love. I've shared it before. When we love something or someone, we're excited to talk about them. That's just the truth, right? You get a, you get a new car, you get a new house, you get something to decorate the house, you got a new grandbaby, you got a new kid. You get something new. Something new happens in your life. Something exciting. You get it. What happens? And I love this. This is awesome. What do you want to do? You want to tell your friend, your best friend, you tell your group. You want to tell, yeah, I'm excited. I love this. This is neat. Man, when we love something or someone, we're excited to talk about them. But to share Jesus and to share him properly, we have to know him. And man, the more you know him, the more you love him. The more you love him, the more you share him. Paul had written a lot of letters during this time. It's the prison epistle time. 
There he is in house arrest. One of the letters was Philippians. When you get time today, I want you to read Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 20. It's in your notes, and uh, I'm not going to read all of it. But I encourage you to read some of it. Philippians 2 says this, Do all things without grumbling, so that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, the children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. Paul said, man, I, I want you guys to, to thrive. Here I am in prison, and I'm writing to you so that you'll thrive. Same thing in Philippians chapter 3. Don't miss the opportunity to know Jesus now and know him intimately and share him with others. Are you sharing him with others? Last week I asked the question, when's the last time that you invited somebody to church? When's the last time you, you invited somebody to come experience what it is to be a child of God in the family of God. When's the last time you asked somebody to come with you? I want to take it a step further this week. When's the last time that you told somebody about Jesus? The lover of your soul. See, the more you fall in love with him, the deeper your love for him grows the greater your desire to share him grows. You, you want to tell people about him. You want to tell people about his church. You want to tell people, you just can't contain it. There's a direct correlation. The, the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to his church. The closer you get to his church, the more you want to accomplish his mission for the church. It's just the way it is. When's the last time you shared Jesus? Man, let's make sure that we capitalize on the opportunities that God gives us. Let's make sure that we're passionately sharing Jesus with others. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you again for the opportunity we have and the challenge that you give us in your word. We see just a little snippet in time of Paul being there in, in this prison and these religious leaders coming to examine him, to hear about this sect and, and him just taking this opportunity to share Jesus. I've got a great example for us. Again, many may have, have given up, but you again have preserved this example for us uh, so that I believe we would follow the same thing. Lord, there's maybe many in this room that are ready to give up, maybe what they're going through personally, maybe what they're going through relationally, maybe what they're going through in, in uh, their, their jobs or even with our nation, we look at what's going on in our world and, and uh, it, it can really leave you disenchanted. We can, we can really become disconnected and, and tired and, and feel like that us sharing Jesus with one person really doesn't matter. I, I pray that you would change our hearts and our minds in that, God, that we would see every opportunity we have and that we capitalize on it for your glory. Lord, help us to be faithful to share Jesus. Help us to not look beyond people and circumstances but be in the moment and be faithful. And Lord, help us with this, and we'll praise you for it. Help us respond rightly now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I'll invite you to come.